when my son was, I, I'm guessing he was three or four years old. Okay, so if you know Silas, this is a little while ago. Uh, and we were singing a song together. You might know this song. If you know it, you can join me. It, it goes like this. He's got the whole world in his hands. He's got the whole world in his hands. He's got the whole world in his hands. What got the whole world in his hands, right? And then you go on. He's got the little bitty babies in his hands. And you you can make up all kinds of stuff. He got the professional basketball players in his hands. You can make up like all the verses you want to. So we're singing this. And then in this moment of like pure uh, mind blowingness, Silas goes, wait. Oh, wait, that guy must have really big hands. The song is a song that teaches us about God and essentially, you know, for kids, it's like, God's big, God's big. He's in control and he's big. And that's the message of the song. And, and it's, and it's, it's, it's a good point that my son had like, wait, hold on. What are we talking about? The whole world in his hands? Like it's. It's inconceivable, you know? And here's the thing. When it comes to God, we've got questions. Anybody? And a lot of those questions don't seem to have answers. That might be why you're here this morning. Because you're like, look, I'm still just looking for answers. I want you to know that if that's you, you're in a very common boat and you're in good company. I'm right there with you. Uh, Today we're starting a three-week teaching series that we're calling three in one, and it's a series about God. Like, what? Who is God, and why does that matter? <laughs> that there is that there is a God, and we're calling it three in one because one of the most common ways to talk about God in Christianity is to talk about the Trinity. You, you might have heard about it. You probably have heard about the Trinity as you read through the Old Testament and the Jewish scriptures, and in the Christian New Testament, you're going to see a concept that there there is a God, and that He kind of reveals himself to us in a couple of different ways, basically three different ways. And most commonly we hear about the Trinity described as God the Father, God the Son, we also call him Jesus, and God the Spirit, the Holy Spirit is most often what he's called. And the idea is that there is a single God, the big guy upstairs, or you know, uh, the old man on the mountain, or the Almighty, like whatever little nickname you call him. But there's this, there's one entity, but that he reveals himself to us in a couple different ways. So I want to break down those three for you real quick. You probably have a rough idea. I mean, even if you didn't grow up in the church and didn't have any background in it, like you probably picked up on some of these things. But this is a quick, you know, 10,000 foot view of what is the Trinity. First, we talk about God, the father. And this is what people might think of as the creator being the individual, the entity that made things happen, that sustains the universe, specifically the all-powerful, supreme, spiritual being that we meet in the Old Testament of the Bible through stories of people like Abraham and, and, and Moses and, and on through the nation of Israel. Uh, now, many Christians don't really process this part of the story, and it might actually like explode your categories about what I'm about to say, but do you realize that the Bible actually talks about other gods, talks about it like it's a thing. In fact, it's totally a thing, other gods, and we're going to call them little g gods, little g. And so they're spiritual powers of some kind, angels, demons, there are other creatures, supernatural beings that we see in the Bible. And uh, they're all identified by the single Hebrew word Elohim. So it doesn't really help us out a whole lot because Elohim is a pretty generic word that just means God or gods. That's just what it means. And so uh, they're identified by the Hebrew word Elohim, and it, it, it identifies all these spiritual beings. 
So it's no surprise that throughout the world, every culture has worshipped God or gods. And we might call them little g gods, but still, there's been this idea that there is spiritual life happening bigger than me. And I don't understand it, but I need to make it happy. Right? This is kind of where all religion kind of finds its roots. But for the sake of this series, and really anytime you talk to me, anytime I say the word God, I'm talking about the all-powerful creator God that we meet in the Old Testament of the Bible who reveals himself to Abraham and the nation of Israel. Um, And the Jews called him Yahweh. They didn't say his name. They didn't pronounce his name. They wouldn't talk of it because it was so sacred in their culture. Um, Sometimes they would call him the God, like put the article the in front of the word Elohim. And so it's to kind of identify this is, there's some gods, but this is the one That's God the Father, okay? We're just breaking down these three. God the Father. When God the Father takes human form, we get the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God. We call him Jesus. We're going to take a whole week to talk about him next week, okay? And so, but specifically, it's not just God in the flesh. It's the God of the Old Testament that reveals himself to Abraham who takes on a carnal state. That's Jesus, as scripture teaches it. And then the third person of the Trinity we see is the Holy Spirit. And, and this is like the agency of God moving among people. Uh, some people have referred to it as like God's soul. Or maybe the part of God that interacts with our soul. But he also acts, seems to be working in the physical world too in different ways. And so we're going to spend a whole week talking about that in our third week too. So that is, in a nutshell, what, what the Trinity is. And most people, the pretty, pretty orthodox view of what the Trinity is. Um, And that was a crash course on that. One one last thought, though, I want to share. This is pretty important. The word Trinity does not show up in our Bibles, okay? It's not a Bible, it's not a biblical concept, technically. Like, don't don't get lost with me here. It's all over the Bible, but the word Trinity is not used. There's not a moment where Jesus is like, let me explain to you my three parts. Like, he doesn't do that. But we do see Jesus reference specifically, for example, when he instructs the disciples when they're sent out on their big mission, the great commission that we as Christians live under. He says, go into the world and baptize people in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And the apostles talk about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So there is this biblical concept of existing, but it actually was after hundreds of years of Christian thinking and teaching that they fully developed what we now call the Trinity. So it's revealed to us, but now there's kind of a a package we put it in we call it the trinity so i probably won't refer to quote unquote the trinity all that often instead my goal is to say what does the bible say about these three natures of god and what does it matter how should it affect our life so if you got a bible you're going to want to grab it we're going to be looking at a couple different scriptures today you can look it up on your phone we've got free bibles by the door here on a shelf you're welcome to go grab them keep them throughout the service and use them or keep them for the rest of your life put your name in the front cover everybody needs a good bible to read um i also have on the screen behind me as well but we're going to start in the very very first sentence in the whole bible because that's a pretty good place to start when trying to understand god he actually is in the very first sentence of the Bible. So we're going to be in Genesis, the first book of the Bible, chapter 1, verse 1, word 1. Here we go. This is how we begin our conversation about God the Father this week. In the beginning, God created. We can stop there. What did he create? The heavens and the earth. This is an ancient concept of like, the things that we don't understand up there and the things that we can see down here. It's everything. This is their concept of the universe. So above and beyond all else, in the very beginning of Scripture, God wants us to know He created. 
God is the creator. Everything we see, everything that we conceive of, everything that we come into contact with, he's the designer, the engineer, the architect. He put it together. That song, he's got the whole world in his, his hands. Like it, it holds up. That's how God wants us to meet him at the very beginning. Now, I understand that uh, we wrestle with that in our culture, especially independently, individually. And, and wherever you are with understanding even the existence of God, uh, I hope you just kind of hang on for this ride. And this is at least what Christianity teaches about God, what I personally have come to believe after lots of thinking and wrestling and studying myself. And, and hopefully this can be a community that you can grow in that idea in. But in the beginning, God created. So that word God in that sentence is the Hebrew Elohim. And it's pretty neat because it's actually the plural form of that word, which I think is a little teaser uh, to, to the three-in-one idea. It's like they. And, and we see that. It makes sense that this plural form is used because he kind of begins to talk to himself. If you look forward in verse 26, he starts making humans. Verse 26 says, then God said, let us, plural, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. So that they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock and the wild animals, over the creatures that move along the ground. So, God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. So, the first thing we learn is that God created. The second thing I think we pick up, and this very early in the Bible story. The second huge thing is that God created us special. We were made in his image, in his likeness, on purpose. The New Testament writer Paul, the Apostle Paul, he says we are his masterpiece. Or I like what several scriptures, including the Apostle Peter, says that we are his special possession. So not only did God create trees and plants and animals and all this stuff, but he's like, but this is my precious, you know. This is my special creation. And he loves us. It's the second big idea about God that we get from this very first story. Now, initially, God walks among mankind. He's with, you know, Adam and Eve in the garden, and he's talking with them, and he's walking with them. Uh, He speaks to them. He keeps community with them because that's his desire for his relationship with mankind. But it doesn't take long for another one of those Elohim to show up, a little G God. If you know the story, you know he shows up in the form of a serpent, and he deceives the woman and the man. He promises them life. Instead, They get death, and sin enters the world. And we learn a big rule about the little g-gods. They're liars. They can't give us what they promise. There's a punishment for that sin. But God promises then in verse uh, chapter 3, and you can look at it in chapter 3, verse 15. I don't have it on the screen, but uh, he comes in. He's like, listen, this was bad. Okay, there's going to be consequences for this, but I want you to know something. One day, I'm going to make this right. I'm going to come down and I'm going to crush the head of that snake. And I'm going to make things right. And that's the first story we learn about God. That whole story arc. God created. God created us special. I'm going to say he loves us. And the third lesson in the creation story is that God is ready to go to battle for us. That that song, there's another in the fire that we just sang. That's what that song's about. There's someone else holding back the waters. That's the story of the, the, the Israelites crossing the Red Sea after the Egyptians. There's another in the fire. That's the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, where you see this, this Elohim in the fire with them. He goes to fight for us. 
And he's going to make a way to make things right. That's the story. And that is the cycle we see go over and over. As you look through all of Scripture, God created you, he loves you, and he's gone to great lengths to offer you forgiveness so that he can be in community with you again. So as you read through the whole Bible story, we find that this story happens over and over and over and over again. There are other Elohim. Other little G gods who try to win the affection of God's people. And so the people build idols to them. And they devote temples to them. And they sacrifice to them. And they dedicate their children to them. And they fight wars in their name. I'm not just talking about the nation of Israel. I'm talking about all humanity. It's in this process of trying to find a level up and understand these powers above them. But the big G God... The all-powerful God, he's working out a plan the whole time to redeem all of humanity from those little G-gods. And he begins to reveal himself to a handful of people. And they begin to see him at work. And he starts out by speaking to a guy named Abraham. Genesis chapter 12, you can read through that. But then he also speaks to his son Isaac and his son Jacob. And over and over, generation after generation, God comes to them and says, Listen, I've got a plan for you. I can bless you. I can give you promises. I want you to trust me. And each of these people had problems, okay? They had faults. They had doubts. They dropped the ball all the time. But God didn't need them to be perfect. He just wanted to show them that he was faithful. And then he wanted them to try to be faithful. And truthfully, generation after generation, they were terrible at it. <laughs> Sound familiar? But God never let them down. They had seasons of doubt and failure. They would try to create a blessed life outside of the blessing of God. That's ultimately one of the things that brings us trouble. I want to bless myself. I want to take care of this. I want to have a blessed life, but I want to do it on my own. And so that's the nature of mankind. It's the nature of the people that we meet in the Old Testament. And over and over and over and over, God begins to create a track record. Proving that he could be trusted. Proving that he was worthy of being praised and worshipped. Proving that he was reliable. That's the story of the whole Old Testament of the Bible. For example, if you know the Old Testament stories of Genesis, Exodus, the book of Deuteronomy, uh, Joshua, Judges. These would be five great places to start. Over and over we see this cycle happens. The Israelites are challenged by other people who serve little g-gods. Maybe the biggest one happens at the beginning while they're in Egypt. They're actually enslaved in Egypt and the Egyptians are overlording them and the Egyptians have this whole pantheon of little G gods that they worship. And so God is ready to rescue them from slavery. And you know what he does? He sends 10 plagues down into Egypt. Now you might know the 10 plague story from some sort of mythology in your head that you learned as a kid or something. But I want you to know something about these 10 plagues. Each of the 10 plagues deliberately, deliberately, stood in the face of one of the Egyptian gods. Oh, you're the god of like the harvest? Okay. All right, you're the god of the harvest? Let me send some locusts down, see how you do with the harvest. And over and over, there's 10 plagues. And the priests of the little G gods, they don't know what to do with it. Like they they can kind of like figure out a little bit of it, but over and over again, they're like, we just can't handle the the, the god of the Israelites. So much so that the the Pharaoh of Egypt is like, just get out of here. (laughs) Just go. We cannot deal with your god. 
And that's just one example. If you follow it on forward, especially to the book of Judges, you get in there and you find that the nation of Israel is then against the gods of the Canaanites. And so you meet names like the Baals, which are these, or some people say the Baals. And these guys are like, they're regional gods and, and there's stuff you can learn about them. Asherah is one, a uh, fertility goddess. You've got Molech, who's this god of war. And, and, and he demands like child sacrifices so that you can be mighty in battle and mighty in war. But none of these regional deities have anything compared to the God of the Israelites. And over and over and over, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob comes through for the nation of Israel and they're victorious and eventually they take over that whole land. And that's one reason why they're so different. They do weird things, the the, the Israelites. Because God tells them, like, listen, I want you to stand out among the nations. I want you to have this whole different persona about you because I'm that different. I'm all powerful. And I want you to live differently. And that's what we see as the cycle continues over and over and over. God's message never changes. I made you. I love you. And you are welcome back to me if you will turn to me. Though these people time and time again will build idols to these other little G-gods. And they'll dedicate their life to them. And they'll dedicate their children to them. And they'll turn their backs on the God that continually delivered them. God says, I'm still here. If you will have me. If you will turn to me. So I'm reminded of a, a passage I just recently found. Um, Deuteronomy, if you've got your Bible still open, flip a couple books over to the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 10. I've got to be honest, I only recently discovered this passage. I guess I've, I don't know how I missed it, but it's pretty powerful. And what happens is Moses is the leader of the nation of Israel during some of this kind of weird conquest time they're going through where really it's a, it's a battle of the gods more than a, it's, it's a war story and we see it that way. But this is, this is bigger than just physical war. This is to show the supremacy of Yahweh God. Okay. And so Moses is in the thick of all this stuff and he wants to remind the nation of Israel about their God. And so listen to how Moses describes God. Deuteronomy chapter 10 and verse 14. Verse 14. To the Lord your God belong the heavens, even to the highest heavens, the earth and everything in it. Yet the Lord sent his affection on your ancestors and he loved them and he chose you, your descendants above all the nations as it is today. So circumcise your hearts, therefore, and do not be stiff-necked any longer. For the Lord your God is, listen to this, God of gods and Lord of lords. The great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality and accepts no bribes. I love Moses' description of their God, of our God. He says, listen, he's been faithful to you. He picked you out. He loves you. And I love this idea at the end, uh, that last verse. He shows no partiality and accepts no bribes. Now that might not resonate with you as a modern American, you know, we're all educated. But every other people in the world to this time, they worshiped their God for one reason. They believed that they could bribe or persuade or cajole them into showing them favor. Like, you know what, if we give this God sacrifices... He'll make our crops grow. If, if we give her money, she will make us fertile and we'll have children healthier than the other children. If we dedicate our children to this God or this goddess, they'll help us win battles. Like you learned that in world history class, right? That is the nature of world religions. To appease a God, to bribe them. 
this God, the God of the Israelites, the God of gods and Lord of lords, he says, I don't need your stuff. You can't impress me. I'm here for you. I love you. I'm trying to deliver you. I want to be in community with you. Nobody saw the little G gods this way. So keep reading. We're going to keep going in Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 18. Moses keeps going. (laughs) Listen to this. This description of God. You've got to understand how different this is than all of the other little G gods I mentioned. It's so absurd. He defends the calls of the fatherless and the widow and loves the foreigner residing among you, giving them food and clothing. That is bonkers. Because in no other culture, in no other uh, ancient religion was there a God who was like, listen, you should accept all people and, and you should definitely care for those that are less than you. No, it's like, no, dog eat dog world, man. Sorry, we're on top. It was a constant climb to the top of the heap. That's the goal of life, after all. And verse 19 says, and you are to love those who are foreigners. For you yourself were foreigners in Egypt. Remember that? Fear the Lord your God and serve him and hold fast to him and take your oaths in his name. He is the one you praise. He is your God who performed for you those great and awesome wonders that you saw with your own eyes. Your ancestors who went down to Egypt, they were 70 in all. And now the Lord has made you as numerous as the stars in the sky. That's a bit of a hyperbole. There was fewer people than stars. But just like God has blessed your people. Don't you see this? What do we do with that? Um, As a young man um, in my 20s and 30s, I think I put a lot of energy into studying God. I wanted to understand him. Maybe you can relate with that. I feel like it's really important for me to understand God. After all, we are a rational people. We have science and math and answers and the internet, Wikipedia, for goodness sake. We're crowdsourcing information. Surely there's answers to all of my questions. And so I remember sitting down with notebooks and writing down questions and talking to people that I trusted. And like, I got to figure this out. I went to college twice and got two degrees in theology because I'm like, I, I can definitely understand this and, and I can figure it out. I had a million questions. I wanted to understand the big questions. How does prayer work? What happens to us when we die? Why do bad things happen? There's good people in the world. Bad things happen to good people. Why? And in many ways, that has been a healthy journey for me. I've learned a lot. I have had a lot of my questions answered. I have learned a lot. I've been able to settle some questions for myself and hopefully for other people that I've been in community with. Um, I do think that there are good answers for hard questions. And if that's you right now, I don't want you to hear anything that I'm saying beyond this as saying, don't look for the answers. God has answers. But along the way, I also learned, I can't understand everything about God. It's impossible. In fact, if I'd have been paying attention, God himself says that kind of thing over and over in scripture. I love what it says in Isaiah chapter 55, 8 through 9. God says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than yours and my thoughts than your thoughts. And though I've learned there are some answers out there, I've also had to come to peace with, it's not up to me to understand God. I 
can't. My head would explode. It's impossible. His ways are beyond mine. Any more than a toddler could understand how a smartphone works. Shoot, any more than an adult could understand how a smartphone works. God's ways are so much higher above our ways. We're talking about God today, and I could really take this conversation a lot of different ways. I could. I could. For example, you might have had a hard time believing in God. You've had a hard time, some hard things. And you'll talk about that. And, and that's a good way to take that conversation. You've got questions about other religions. What? Why do they worship in different ways? Like, is that okay? Is God okay with that? We, we could spend some time talking about that. Or maybe you've got the notion that there is a big guy upstairs, but that's about it. Like, I'm cool with him. Like, we're good. He don't bother me. I don't bother him. He's got to stay out of each other's business. Uh, or maybe you've devoted yourself to God and you've spent decades trying to figure out God and understand God. And, and he still confuses you. Because there's things that you don't understand. and So sure, we could talk about God in a lot of different ways. And I have for hours. And I've spent many times talking about different of those things from this very spot. Um, but for today, when it comes to what's most important, here's where I've landed in my own life. God isn't asking us to understand him. He just wants to love us and be loved by us. Think about that. He's not asking us to understand it. Never did he come down like, hey, listen, if you could figure me out, that'd be great. Be my therapist. No. I just want to love you. And I want you to love me back. Can you do that? I'll go first. In all the ways he reveals himself in scripture, never once is there some academic pursuit to explain himself to us. Instead, the Bible writers use attributes of God to help us Get glimpses of him. So as we wrap up today, what I want to do is go through some of those attributes. Um, because these attributes can hopefully help us find faith in him. It, it can help us maybe answer some of the questions we have. And more importantly, I said who is God, but more importantly, why does that matter? I think that will lead us to want to worship him and live for him. Here are a couple of attributes. There's a, I, I made a list of like 20 and I'm like, we ain't got time for that. So I think I got like five. Um, here's one. God is all powerful. God is all-powerful. A lot of different stories I could tell or scripture I could read, but I love this poem uh, in Psalm chapter 33 that says, By the word of the Lord, listen, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. He spoke it into existence. That is power. God is all-powerful. Their starry hosts by the breath of his mouth. He gathers the wind of the, the waters of the sea into jars. Like He's like Atlantic Ocean. Scoop it up in my mason jar, put it on a shelf. I mean, this is like he's got the whole world in his hands type stuff. He puts the deep into storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the people of the world revere him, for he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. So in a world of little g gods, there is constantly a fight to get to the top of the heap. Every Power in history has wanted to be the most powerful, the most popular, the most feared, the most adored. And listen, don't miss it, modern day Americans. You're like, I don't worship totem poles. No, we have little G gods all around us. Some of them are spiritual beings. Some of them are just our own pursuit of happiness or fame or fortune or whatever it is. And there's constantly a struggle to climb to the top of that pile. And these forces in your life are constantly trying to get your attention. Am I wrong? No. 
And in all of these little G gods, the one thing you need to know is that our God is all powerful. Step aside. He says, silence. I am. None is before me. None can stand against me. None can defeat me. None of these even present a challenge to me. God is all powerful. That's an attribute that you can cling to. Here's another one. God is holy. Holiness is a great Bible word. It means to to stand apart or to stand alone in a category of its own, to be otherly, to be different. And so when we think about holy, you might think about like no sin and being pure. And that's true in God's case. He is holy. He's set apart. He's different. And one way that he is different is that he is only truth and good. Okay, there's no sin and evil in him. I love what the Apostle Peter writes about his holiness and his challenge to us in 1 Peter 1, 14 through 15. It says, as obedient children, that's assuming we want to be obedient children, okay? As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, set apart, different, otherly, so be holy in all that you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. God's holiness is a big deal. We can't be flippant with him. It's also why sin matters. Because it gets in the way of our ability to to stand apart with God. And the cool thing is he imparts his holiness on us through Jesus. That's next week's sermon. But he says, listen, you can do this. You can be different. The world should be able to look at you and be like, something different. I kind of like it. Be holy. God is holy. Here's another one. God is faithful. I spent some time talking about that already, uh, the track record that he built. And one of the biggest faith-building things for me is to see how God is faithful in, in your lives and, or to look at my own life and look back. It's hard to see God in the future. You're always scared of the future. But you can look back and say, how has he carried me thus far? And God is faithful. That's an attribute of God. Here's another one that I love. God is just and merciful. We're going to spend some time, I think, next week talking about this. There's a lot to talk about. I don't know what I'm going to get into. I've got to, got, to, got to pare it down some. But, you know, grace and mercy are like the biggest features of Christianity that make it different than anything else. That, that God would look at us in our brokenness and say, I can use that. I can redeem that. I can work with that. It comes from the very heart of God, that he's a God of, of grace and mercy and justice. We think of justice as punishment. Aha, you did the crime, you're going to do the time. Actually, that's not what justice means. Justice means to put things back right the way they should have been in the first place. That's what justice means. And so God comes in and says, listen, I'm going to have mercy with you, and I'm going to help you get things back the way they should have been in the first place. Sometimes it does involve punishment and consequences. Other times it just... You know, if you ever had a, a, a kid that you spoke to and you're like, I was going to spank you or ground you, but I see that you've learned your lesson. God does that for us sometimes. There's so many more attributes I could get into. This is the last one I want to share. Most important one. God is love. And before you write that off and like, oh gosh, he's going to go and God is love again. Okay, love, love, love. Harry Potter, that's the, that's the answer to the Harry Potter story. It's the answer to every other fantasy novel there ever was. There is God is, your love conquers all. Like, no, this isn't just some little trite throwaway concept. Listen to the way that the Apostle John describes Almighty God. By the way, the Apostle John was Jesus' best friend. Okay, 
He understood something about God. All right, listen to this. He says, dear friends, uh, this is uh, 1 John 4, 7 through 12, if you want to look it up, 1 John 4. He says, dear friends, let us love one another. For love comes from God. Anyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. I had a mentor who said, love is not an attribute of God. Love is the the substance God is made of because it says here, God is love. I don't, that might just be semantics. I don't know, but it's a heavy concept. Like if you take love out of the equation, what is God? He, it's what sets him apart from all the other Elohim we read about or know about and the powers of this world. God is love. This is how God showed his love among you. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. The little G gods of this world will promise us life and they will deliver us death. But the one true God says, I can give you life. John 10, 10 says, he gives us life to the full Abundant life. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. And he sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sin. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. For no one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God lives in us. And his love is made complete. In us. God is love. Over and over and over. His people let him down. But it is, it's his love. That allows him to continually forgive. And by the way. That's us too. We're not just talking about ancient people that we read about. We are God's people today. We're told that we've been called out of darkness to walk in his marvelous light. That we were once not a people, but that we are now a people. That we're his special possession. And that's what I hope we can walk home with today. <laughs> I don't know. It seems simple, but I couldn't come up with something better. God loves you. And that is a great foundation to build on. He wants to love you. And he wants to be loved by you. Every week I give us a challenge to take home. And this one was hard because like what tangible thing can we each do to like acknowledge the existence of God and love him. And this is what I've got for us this week. I hope that you'll, that you'll do this. This week, turn your heart to God. Turn your heart to God in two ways. Number one, seek him with your life. You might be in a place right now where you're like, I don't know. I don't know if I would call myself a Christian. <laughs> I don't know if I would call myself a I'm in a church. Doesn't that count? Turn your heart to God by seeking him with your life. What does that mean? I can't tell you what that means. It's going to mean a little something different for all of us. But like when you wake up in the morning, instead of like living for your job, living for your family, living for your hobby, living for your grumpy disposition because you're just miserable all the time, instead of living for that, live for God. The psalmist says, seek him in the morning and learn to follow his ways. Every day. Here's the second way that we can turn our hearts to God this week. Love someone else in his name. It says that if we are, God is love. Anyone who loves knows God. And is born of God. If you don't love, you don't know God. So seek God. And love somebody this week in God's name. Not because they're doing something for you or because you're just a nice person. 
Love is about sacrifice. Going out of your way to do something because you care about that person above yourself. It's easy to love your cute little kid. It's hard to love your adult child who keeps on breaking your heart. You see the difference? It's easy to love a puppy. It's hard to love your neighbor who's really difficult to deal with. That's love. And God said, I'll go first. God demonstrated his own love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ came and died for us. Turn your heart to God this week. That's the challenge. It's simple, but it's hard. Um, God made you. He loves you. Even when you turn away, he's made a way back for you to return to him. He's got the whole world in his hands. Let's pray today.